Today we continue our study in the book of Jude, and if you are going to follow along as I read, we'll be in verses 11 through 13 of Jude, which has one chapter, and uh, it is largely a book written uh, to the Christians uh, of that time to urge them to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And the reason we have to do that is because of false teachers and because of those who would seek to undermine that faith. So beginning now in verse 11, Jude writes, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is God's holy inspired word and and may the Lord bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this passage, we thank you that it is the very word of God that it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is authoritative, it is life-giving, it is powerful. Uh, Lord, it reaches to the depths of our souls. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do heart surgery, heart work today in our own hearts, in our own lives, but that you would do so as you inform our minds. We have been commanded to worship you with all our heart, soul, and mind so, Lord, may our minds be given to the, uh, to the preaching of the word today, and may we learn, and may we be transformed by what we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, it's been said that Jude is the most neglected book in the New Testament. Um, we tend to avoid it and look for something else a little more uplifting to read. Don't you like to open the Bible and find something that's, that's going to warm your heart and and lift you up. Well, in a roundabout way, of course, every portion of Scripture does that. But, <clears throat> you see, this book was inspired by God because there was a need. And there's a need today. And the need of the church to contend for the faith. Uh, because if we don't, we will end up compromising and losing the faith altogether. So it's good for us to, that we take on this study of, of this short and powerful book. It's needful in our day and, um, because we need to contend for the faith. False teachers, we, we find and we'll find today, are, uh, they have similar characteristics in every age of, of the church. And in one sense, there's nothing new, uh, even going back to Old Testament times, which we will do today. Uh, to look at several examples. but um, And as we look at verses 11 to 13, we see, first of all, there's two points today, and we'll look at the three apostates uh, from uh, the past, and then 
what is God's indictment of these false teachers uh, in the present. So let's look first at these three apostate men from the past, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now Jude, as you may recall, likes to group things in threes. He's already done several of these groupings, and remember he has already spoken about God's judgment uh, on three groups from the past, uh, three groups. Uh, one was Israel in the wilderness, rebellion there, and then the evil angels who rebelled in heaven, and then there were the wicked towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, and their, and God's judgment on them. So now he's, he's turning from God's judgment on three groups to three individuals, and um, <clears throat> these three individuals are, are, are the false teachers that Jude is dealing with uh, are... In, in a sense, only borrowing from the ways that these wicked men lived in the past. And they're following their path. And the first thing to notice is that Jude pronounces a woe upon them. A woe upon these men. And it reminds us of many times in the scripture where we read, uh, God's woe is pronounced. Jesus often uh, declared woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Uh, Jesus pronounced woes, and uh, the word "woe" is an interesting word in the Greek. It, uh, uh, it it's more of a, a sound or a cry than a word. It's it's like a the painful cry of one who has just heard tragic news, or one who's undergoing great pain, or or, or grief, or, or sorrow, even under the threat of losing uh, their life. Uh, someone like Isaiah would say, he even said of himself in Isaiah 6, he said, woe is me when he saw the Lord. He says, I'm undone. He thought his life was over. So this woe, this idea of woe is, is a mixture of punishment, pity, cursing, and also compassion uh, is included in that. So if you pronounced a woe upon someone, you uh, are pronouncing usually judgment or a curse. And remember this, there's only one way to escape the judgment and curse the woe of God. And we know that that's to repent of our sins and to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered God's judgment, God's wrath in the place of sinners. So woe to all who are still in their sins. Woe to those who are without saving faith in Jesus Christ. And a special... Woe to those who have led others astray, who have led them in paths of wickedness and sin, as false teachers do. False teachers are following uh, their father, the devil, who deserves the greatest of all woes and who will be in the everlasting fire for all eternity. But, but also all who follow him uh, will find that they will be there as well. Well, why is, well, does Jude pronounce this woe to the false teachers? Because they have gone the way of Cain, uh, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. And Cain, let's look at him first. Cain was the first man born on the earth, and then he has the uh, moniker of the first murderer on the earth. It didn't take long. We think things are bad today. The very first man born into this world, to God's world, was a murderer. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised today uh, that that people murder, that people sin. But Cain, um, I don't think 
that uh, Jude brings him up because he was a murderer. I think he brings Cain up because of something else. We know that Cain killed his brother Abel, yes. Uh, But Genesis tells us something about Cain and Abel before before, um, Cain killed Abel. Is that they were to bring offerings, they brought offerings before the Lord. And uh, it says that Abel brought the, from the firstborn of his flock. He brought an animal sacrifice. And yet Cain brought only some of the fruit of the ground. It seems that Cain didn't give much thought to this. He just saw what he had laying around and said, well, I'll, I'll offer some grain or some fruit uh, of the ground. And, uh, and it wasn't what God had commanded, obviously, because God was not pleased uh, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, the, uh, the firstborn of the flock, but not Cain's offering. He rejected it. One commentator says, strictly speaking, there are only two religions in the world. The true religion, that of God's appointing, and false religion, the product of man's own mind. The first religion is of faith, and the second of superstition, whatever form it may appear So you have two religions. One is faith. Faith because God has commanded us. God has called us. It's based on the word of God. The other is based on man's own ideas. That's unbelief. Cain was an unbeliever. He trusted in his own works, his own ideas, instead of God's way of faith in his appointed sacrifice. Now that faith was to be, of course, in Jesus Christ as pictured in that early promise the proto-evangelion in Genesis 3.15 of the, the seed of the woman who would come uh, to crush or bruise the head of the serpent. Uh, in the fullness of time, the Messiah would come and appear and give his life for the sins of the people, would offer himself as a sacrifice. And so God said, offer these animals. They will be uh, a, a picture of what Christ is coming to do, put your faith in his substitutionary sacrifice portrayed by these animals. And so uh, God taught them that they could only approach him by a blood sacrifice and by, by that uh, trusting in that offering. Well, uh, we read in Hebrews 11, four, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. You see, just like anyone, if you are going to be righteous before God, it is through faith and faith alone. And so Abel obtained witness because he trusted in the sacrifice that God commanded uh, that he was righteous by faith. And, And so Cain didn't trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, that which pointed to Christ. He, he didn't trust in God's appointed way. He trusted in his own works, his own uh, thoughts. And so uh, he didn't bring what God commanded, but only what was right in his own eyes, what he thought was best. And so the false teachers that Jude is condemning were like Cain. They've gone the way of Cain. And this is what false teachers do. I mean, to a T. This is what all false teachers do. They teach... A works righteousness, a a, a righteousness through our own efforts and our own law keeping and so on. But the true church of Jesus Christ through the ages 
uh, teaches and believes that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's finished work alone. Uh, and, and so what false teachers do and false churches uh, today do is they add works into the equation for salvation. Um, it is only by faith that we are saved. But if you add works, uh, you, you have denied the gospel. Uh, you have preached another gospel. And so this was the great sin of the Jews in Jesus' day. And in Paul, the Apostles' Day, in Romans 10, 13, Paul wrote, he says, They, the Jews, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's the way of Cain. Uh, that's the way of the false teacher. That's the way of the unbelieving Jews. Uh, Titus 3, 5 tells us the right way. It says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, have you been saved by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work? Have you repented of your sins? Have you also repented of your own works and your self-righteousness thinking that you somehow deserve something from God. You have to repent of that as well, of your, of your deeds. You must also be born again and by faith be cleansed by Christ's blood. Don't go the way of Cain. Go the way of Christ. The way of Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, every sinner who is too proud to admit the guilt of his sin and trust in the atoning work of Christ is a follower of the work of Cain, of the way of Cain. But next, consider Balaam. Verse 11 says the false teachers have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And of course, those are those uh, the word greedily and profit are key terms there, telling us what Balaam was all about. And 2 Peter 2.15, uh, very much a parallel passage uh, to the book of Jude, says, Likewise, that these men have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Um, so, so Balaam was, uh, he seems to have been a prophet of God in some sense, uh, but he was hired by Balaam. He was an unfaithful prophet. Um, and, and he was hired by Balak, king of Moab, to curse Israel. We can read about the struggle there, uh, uh, but, but because he was not able to curse uh, the people of Israel. But you see, Balaam didn't really love God. He was one of those hirelings. He he loved money. He didn't love the people. Uh, he loved money, and he was willing to compromise his convictions on account of. Um, of, of wanting to get this gain, this false gain, to do something which God had forbidden him to do. But Revelation 2.14 also adds the following about Balaam, that he tried to corrupt the people of Israel by luring them into the sexual immorality and idol worship. And Dr. Hendrickson in his commentary concludes that as Balaam sought the destruction of Israel, so these godless men in Jews' time desire the downfall of God's people. 
You know, it's hard for us to believe because, you know, false teachers don't come into the church with a, a label or a T-shirt that says, I'm a false teacher. They come in looking just like you and me. And they come in acting as if they, they want the good of the flock, but they really are evil workers. And they seek to destroy the people of God. <clears throat> and they often do it for money. The Bible teaches us, though, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some have strayed from their faith in their greediness. That's exactly what Balaam did. And many others have done who followed their ways. So false teachers, they're often known by their love of money, by their desire for money. And they fleece the flock with their lies, with their errors for ungodly gain. Woe to them. They sacrifice the flock for their their own sake, for their own enrichment. Of course, instead, like the apostles, they should have sacrificed and offered themselves for the sake of the flock, like the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, gave his life for the sheep. Instead, uh, they follow the way of the false shepherds in Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should, they, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Uh, and, and so the men in Jude's day were, were doing that. They were feeding themselves and not the flock. You know, false teachers would not exist today if it were not for the support of weak, gullible, naive people today, right? Uh, they only exist, they only continue because of a lack of discernment, a lack of biblical knowledge, and so on. And those who give to them and their ministries are participating, actually, in their error, uh, I was reading something Pastor Ligon Duncan said. He said, uh, if you are on television and, and someone asks you for money in the name of Christ, nine times out of ten, it's a heretic. Just bear in mind, bear that in mind. If they ask you for money, they're probably a heretic. Uh, but by contrast, we think of the apostles and we think of godly men through the years who gave up their wealth and their comfort for the sake of the gospel. Missionaries who've gone and sacrificed their lives for the sake of the gospel. And so um, those who serve Christ truly serve. They're in the ministry not for themselves, but for the Lord and for the sake of others, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the flock. First Timothy 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can take nothing out of it. This is the approach of, of not only all Christian leaders, but all Christians uh, to consider, uh, to think of things in terms of eternal values. Next, in verse 11, consider this man named Korah. <clears throat> Korah. Jude speaks of those who perished in the rebellion of Korah. So we know Korah was rebellious. A story of Korah is found in Numbers chapter 16, and Korah was a Levite, and uh, he led a rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron, whom God had appointed. And, uh, and so he gathered about 250 other uh, Levites who were leaders of the congregation, and they accused Moses and Aaron of exalting themselves over the assembly of the Lord. Why have you exalted yourself over the assembly of God? Well, because God... Had appointed them, and 
they, they thought it was merely uh, something Moses and Aaron had done. Uh, and Korah, you see, wanted some of their power for himself. And so he stirred up the people against God's appointed leaders. Someone has said that too much of what may be seen uh, to be zeal for the honor of God has its true character displayed in the pride and in the ambition of this rebellious Levite. In other words, it might, some, some people might appear to be zealous for God, but they're really zealous for themselves in the church and, and zealous for their own sake. Some, um, <clears throat> what did Cain want? He wanted approval from God on his works. What did Balaam want? He, he was greedy for financial gain. What did Korah want? He was hungry for power. And pride was his downfall. Why do people want power? Because they want people to, to worship them. And they want to be over others. So Korah desired really Aaron's position. Aaron was the high priest of God. Uh, but Korah was a Levite. And not of the priestly line. Now the Levites were set apart for, for the temple uh, tabernacle service. Uh, they were assisting the, the priests, but they could not be priests. And so um, Korah rebels against uh, God's calling and a place for him of service. You see, uh, he was not content with his calling, not content with his place. He wanted more uh, than what God had given to him. Have you ever felt that somehow you deserved more than what God has given you? That you deserve more acclaim, more wealth, more position, more acknowledgement, uh, more acclaim, and so on? Uh, have you been envious of the privileges God has given to others? Particularly, have you been critical of those that God has called uh, to serve him as elders? as pastors in the church. Well, you see, the false teachers were known by those things. They came in and undermined, and maybe not so much at the very first, but little by little they began to criticize those who were in leadership, those who had called, and then they, they, they gather a group around them and they split the church. Uh, and, and it's very destructive. One author says that the whole rebellion of Korah was a type of opposition, not just against Moses and Aaron, it was a type of opposition against the royalty and priesthood of Jesus Christ himself. You see, we have to be careful because Christ is the head of the church and he appoints those who serve in positions of authority in his church. Now these 250 Levites whom Korah had enticed uh, to join him were destroyed by fire from God. And Korah and, and, and all his uh, household and, and others were also consumed by the earth that, swallowed, that, that opened up its mouth and swallowed them and buried them alive. Just as sure as judgment came to Korah and his company, God has judgment reserved for those who rebel against him and following Korah's footsteps, seeking power, but they're illegitimate, they're uncalled, and they're disruptive deceivers. And it's interesting, though, to read at the end, end of this story, you know, Korah and the rebellion, it's a, it's, a, it's a dark spot in Israel's history, but there's a bright spot. Numbers 26.11 says this, Nevertheless, the children of Korah 
did not die. God judged Korah and his household, but not their not his children, because though they were related by blood, they had a different heart, they had a different mindset, and they chose a different path. Uh, and and later, you see, if you read the Psalms, you find that the sons of Korah are the authors of several of the Psalms, and very fittingly, in Psalm 84, verse 10. They sang, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. They were content to be Levites in the house of God, to be doorkeepers, to be whatever it was that God had appointed them to, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness like their father. So you and I need to be on guard in the church of the Lord because people will come in. The Bible promises and, and guarantees that it will happen to divide the flock uh, and to lead God's people astray, we need to be gu- on guard against having the same attitudes that we saw in these three uh, apostates from the Old Testament, the, the greed, the, the desire for power, and, and other things. So um, we need to submit also to those who are in authority. And proper submission doesn't mean that you never ask a question, that you, that you never question anything. Uh, no, it, it, it's, it's an attitude of respect um, as Hebrews 13:17 says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Now, if one of the elders turns out to, or the pastor turns out to be uh, a false teacher, then, of course, that's a different matter. But as long as they're being faithful to Scripture, our attitude uh, must be one of submission and respect. And so when they're following Scripture, when they're leading by Scripture, uh, we obey them because to do so is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. If we rebel against God-ordained authority in the church, we rebel against the Lord. Well, the second half, and this is much more brief. uh, I will not take long on this, but in the last couple of verses, we see God's opinion, his indictment of the false teachers in the church. The severe indictment. Uh, should make us stand in awe and, and fear the Lord. Uh, because this is what God thinks of them, and this is who they really are, and this is what they uh, deserve. So someone who comes into the church to, to usurp authority, to teach false doctrine, to divide God's people, to fleece the flock, this person deserves the hottest part of hell. Really the darkest part of hell, as we learn here in in these verses. And and the first thing he says, they are spots in your love feasts. And um, really, the the more accurate translation, the the word for spot really means uh, a a rock in the sea or a reef. And some translations bear that out. It's like a hidden reef and a ship that might come along unknowingly and not know that that the reef was just there not far under the surface. Uh, that leads to shipwreck, you see. And so these false teachers come into the church and, and they're just, they fly under the radar for a while, but they're like those reefs. And they can uh, ruin and shipwreck the faith of many. Well, they're in the love feast. They're, they're taking communion. They're, they're having fellowship meals without fear because they've gained the confidence of the people. The people haven't d- discerned. Uh, who they are yet, you see, and that's why discernment is so important. And and yet they're only serving in themselves. They, they've partaken the Lord's Supper, but they don't really partake in the communion with Christ and fellowship with Him. They have the outward form, pretending devotion, 
to Christ, but all the while they're only looking out for their own interest. Now, it's, it's true that we can't read uh, the intentions, the hearts of people, um, but we are to judge their fruit. Uh, he goes on, he says, they are like clouds without water. Uh, they promise rain, but don't deliver anything. Uh, when uh, there's a drought and uh, we see clouds approaching, we have hope that there's going to be a shower to, uh, uh, to replenish things and revive the earth. And yet, he says, they're like the clouds that come and go, but there's nothing in them. You see, these false teachers were full of words, but they were empty words, empty promises, empty show. Um, because they were only full of themselves and their own ideas. They don't speak according to their words. They speak speculations and ideas that are outside of Scripture. So the wind blew them in, and we can only pray that the wind will blow them back out of the church. Jude goes on to say they're like late autumn trees without fruit. Well, this is way past the time for fruit. A late autumn tree, you don't expect any fruit, but that's what they're like. And they are twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Uh, really, they were never true believers at all. They never had the Holy Spirit, the life of God in them. They were dead, still dead, in trespasses and sins. And Jesus said this, he's, he warns, he says, Every plant which my Heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. And then in verse 13, he says, They're like waging, wa- raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Most of us have probably been uh, to the shore. It's not so far away in South Carolina. And and we see the waves coming in and we see the foam and all the uh, stuff that it leaves. And sometimes it's, it gets kind of nasty looking and who knows what's in it. But uh, it's probably, the, the background for this is probably Isaiah 57. Verses 20 and 21, it says this, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Well, and God says there is no peace for the wicked. They're always like the waves of the sea, uh, just just raging and foaming up. They bring destruction, and they leave filth and, and their own filth and mire behind them. And then finally, Jude describes them as wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Uh, Technically, stars don't wander. They're fixed. Well, they seem to maybe move, but uh, they don't. And uh, some say that Jude is referring to the planets, which look like stars in the sky, and they do move. And, and astronomers notice that, and maybe they call, they call them wandering stars. Others have said, well, he's talking about shooting stars that travel across the sky, and then they just go out into darkness. And maybe those are some of the metaphors that he had in mind. But the point is that these false teachers are destined for darkness, destined for judgment. And, and, you know, hell is is not only described as everlasting fire, but also everlasting darkness. Darkness is a dreadful thing. Total darkness, eternal darkness. Hell is a fearful place of torment and of utter aloneness and loneliness. Dr. J. Adams writes the following. He says, like planets and stars, light years away from one another, thrown out into the cold darkness of space, such persons will for all eternity wander far from the warmth and light 
of Christian fellowship with one another and with God. Um, not something any of us would want to experience. Well, it's interesting, the word error back in, in, in verse 11, it comes from a verb that means to wander. Uh, and, and false teachers are wanderers. And, and this is an intentional thing. You know, error sometimes comes across to us as, well, I, I made a mistake, but uh, this is intentional. These men wander because they want to wander. They choose to wander from the Lord and from His truth. And, and they will wander eventually into eternal darkness and woe. Woe to them, says Jesus. And woe to us if we listen to them or follow their path. Well, what are we to do? Um, in ancient times, the sailors, of course, learned to navigate by looking at a fixed star, like in the northern hemisphere, the North Star. The, they called it the Pole Star. Uh, and it was fixed in the night sky, and it didn't move. Uh, and they were able to, to find their way. And you and I, the only way we can navigate in this world, navigate our lives and make it to our heavenly destination is to look to Jesus Christ who is the pole star. He is indeed the morning star. He is the sun. He is the immutable, unchanging light of the world. And only by that light uh, can you and I know the truth and know the way to heaven because it's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Second Peter 1.19, here's what Peter wrote. He says, We have the prophetic word, the Scriptures, confirm, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. You see, by nature, we are dark. Our hearts are darkened. And, and, and he says, Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to remain in darkness. Uh, but having Christ, who is the, the light of the world, the bright morning stars, we keep our eyes fixed on Him. We will be able uh, to, to, to know the way each, each and every day as we follow Him. And, and He alone is able to keep us from error, to keep us from wandering. By nature, we wander. We're like wandering stars, but He's a fixed star. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I'll close with one of the uh, words of our hymn, hymns that we sing. Come thou fount is the hymn, but oh to grace how great a debtor daily I am constrained to, to be. Uh, let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above.